Good morning, ladies. Let's start with a little bit of a prayer because I've already um, realized that um, all of the applications in this lesson are for me today. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are such a good teacher, um, that you just do not let us get too far out of your sight before you say, come back here and hold my hand, honey. It's about to get dangerous. So I thank you today for the ways that you've protected me this far and that you provide time and resources for all we need to do. And Lord, I ask you to especially bless these mothers who went through a whole lot more to get here today than I did. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this week, we, we fell back and we got an extra hour, which was delicious, if you don't have children that tell time. Uh, because um, for me, and this was a snapshot my husband took of me the morning that we had that extra rest. It's beautiful. I mean, I looked at the clock. You know, it said 5.30. I knew it was 6.30. I could just stay there longer, so I stayed till 8.30. And, you know, I came out looking like, like that. I mean, that's the way it is when you're me, and I'm sorry, not sorry, that you're not in my role right now. But really, um, if we're going to go with Disney characters, Sleeping Beauty isn't the best one for me. This guy is. What does he say? I'm late, I'm late for a very important date. Okay, so that is me. Um, I don't know why I'm always late, except that there are so many good things to do and think and get, and, and then the time is up and that's that, because time is the same for all of us. Um, this morning, I came early to pray before our lesson, so I would be you know, mentally and spiritually prepared, but when I got there, I heard the word, amen. So this is very typical of me, even when I'm trying really hard to be obedient to that proctor of ours time. And Jesus today, um, it, I'm going to reveal to you what he happens to think about taking time away. But mostly I want to remind you that even though our study is mostly about us, like this week there was a lot of reflecting on yourself, that when we come to Bible study, the real story isn't about us at all. It's about God. And so today I'm going to tell you a little bit about what God thinks about our rest and how he has purposed for us to be restful. And this is mostly about him, but then some about me. And we're going to tell you the first story about me. All of my stories today are going to take place in this 1992 Aerostar, Ford Aerostar. They don't make it anymore. It's a shame, isn't it? So stylish. So stylish. Yes, I had a Ford Aerostar. As a young mom, I can recall a day distinctly like the one Ellie just shared with me, that she was running 10 things before she got here. So admirable. But I, at one point, was that person and putting kids in the car and trying to get somewhere. I can't remember where, but it was super, super important. So once they were all buckled in, and I was lucky at that time, they didn't have to wear, you know, be in um, car seats till they were 15. It was, it was a different day. And so I just remember I got the kids in the car and everybody's buckled and they're sitting in the driveway and I take my purse to get the keys and you know what happens, right? No, no keys. There's no keys. So you dig every pocket, you shake it, then you dump the whole horrible thing out in the car, which is a job for later. There are still no keys. So then you run back in the house because you're late because you had more things to do than there time to do it. And you went back in the house. I went back in the house. I looked all over, up and down the stairs, back and forth, in the pockets of all the coats. Of course, I'm not finding it. And I finally just like throw myself down on the stairs, heading back into the bedroom where I thought, I never take my keys in the bedroom. Why would they be there? And I throw myself down the stairs. I said, what is the matter with me, God? And I open my eyes. And because of my angle, I can see the floor of my bedroom. And there in the corner behind the chair where I probably threw something, a purse or a coat, are my keys. And I can only see them because I am completely given up. I am on my knees. 
And that lesson taught me, once and for all, never to do too many things in one hour and try to expect so much of myself, except for the rest of 13 years, which is why there will be more lessons in this car. But I just want to tell you that um, the idea of slowing it down so you can actually be more purposeful, more effective, more functional, or as our author says, more fun, is not just for us and for our family, it's for our relationship with God, because he says he's enough for us. And most of the time, I doubt that. And the reason I know it's true is because my behavior proves it out. I bear the fruit of one who doesn't trust that I can slow down and still be effective for him and my family. So today we're going to study the concept of Sabbath, which means a holy rest. A holy rest. The concept of Sabbath comes to us right in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, as we see God doing everything there is to be done and finishing it out, he says, now we're going to take a rest. I'm going to take a rest, he says of himself. Genesis 2, 2 through 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested from all his work that he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all the work, finish this out with me, he had done in creation. Who did the work? God did the work. Three times this sentence, God is the God of the universe. Everything that was made, everything that will be made, was made in the sixth days of creation, with the seventh day being the one on which God said, no need to do anymore, it is finished. And we're going to look at it and appreciate it. And because of his work, it's holy. Is it holy because of our work? Am I mentioned in this passage? It's holy because of his work. It's not holy because I did this many things before 8 o'clock or I got this much done today or that I, that I managed to squeeze in a quiet time and go to the gym before 12 noon and have kids dressed and ready and nobody forgot that. Nope. He did the work and it's done. That's Sabbath. Satisfaction in, a, in the work that is done. Holy satisfaction. What I mean by holy is that it is set aside for God himself. Holy means sanctified. It means it's not for anyone else other than him. So let's talk about Sabbath a little bit more. The word Sabbath, or Shabbat, as you might have heard it in, in Jewish circles, is mentioned 150 times by name in scripture. There are 500 or more references to the word rest. Not all of them are about resting and leisure, but at least half of them are. There are a lot of references to the word rest. Now, would you know that there are 150 references to the word Sabbath in the Bible? If you knew that, wouldn't you say, gosh, I should probably learn more about that, which is precisely what I did this week. So I'm going to tell you again, I'm standing in front of you telling you what God told me because God needed to tell me. You just happen to be here on the other end of my mouth, okay? So Sabbath, 150 times in the Bible. Of course, it's one of the Ten Commandments, keep holy the Sabbath. That means the day that's holy, keep it holy. There is a requirement of us. Set apart or sanctified is the word that holy means. And uh, for believers at the time, for, for the Israelites, they understood six days, seven days, one-seventh of their days, a full 24 hours belonging back to God. 24 hours from sunset on the sixth day to sunset on the seventh day. And doing this honors the completed work of God in creation. 
And failure to keep the Sabbath law has grave repercussions. We're going to hear about some of those in a few minutes. Moses, in the first five books, taught the Israelites to take this very seriously. God told him to tell them to take it seriously. I have not taken the Sabbath seriously. Confession. But God did so, and God said so, so I should. Now, in the most strenuous um, response to the idea of no work comes a whole lot of laws. And Leviticus and other parts of the Bible where we hear the word Sabbath, particularly the Old Testament, are all about the legislation of not doing work. I'm going to tell you that it takes a lot of work not to do work. So uh, on an Orthodox uh, Jewish uh, site, I found 39 categories of Sabbath work that are prohibited. Now I have to read you this because, oh, I couldn't make this stuff up. But it is really challenging to follow this along. But here are the, all the categories. I'm just going to read you the description of carrying. First of all, the author says, in order to present some of the ideas of Sabbath rest, we will here outline 39 categories of ritual work. This is only, listen, the barest of outlines. And it's meant to present the spirit rather than the details of the law. For the latter, the appropriate codes should be consulted. So this is just a general idea. Here's some more specifics on carrying, also for which there are more um, appropriate codes to follow. Carrying. This category involves carrying, carrying in a public place. This is one of the few categories of work that is actually mentioned in the Torah. It is also the very first type of work that was prohibited. The initial commandment of the Sabbath was given in connection to manna. That is, don't collect manna in the desert on the, on the seventh day. That's the only time the manna is going to carry over from the sixth day. Obviously, this is about carrying, says the author. Thus, when Moses told the people, let no man leave his place on the seventh day, he was telling them that they could not carry the manna. The Torah also gives an account of the man who was put to death for gathering wood on the Sabbath. And here again, according to some commentators, his violation of the Sabbath involved carrying. And in the third place, the prophet Jeremiah specifically warns people not to carry on the Sabbath. He says, take heed and carry no burdens on the Sabbath and do not carry any burden out of your house on the Sabbath. And the author says, carrying is really a prototype of all of the other types of Sabbath work. <laughs> the definition of work is any act where man demonstrates his mastery over nature, but the first act by which man demonstrates such mastery is by taking things from nature and carrying where he needs them. In a sense, by not carrying, we also relinquish our ownership of everything in the world on the Sabbath, and we give something up of our ownership. Wow. How many of you carried in more than one thing today? <coughs> How many of you have ever spent a day when you didn't carry anything? This prohibition even prohibits carrying pocket, purses, pocket books, purses, wallets, keys, and keychains. And anything, the only thing you can carry outdoors on the Sabbath is something that you are wearing, and you can't carry anything um, unnecessary like pebbles or stones or pencils or erasers or pens or writing instruments because those are prohibited on one of these other lists. Wow, I will say it again. It's a lot of work not to work. Think how hard you have to work not to work to get this done. And if you'll recall, <clears throat> 
working on the Sabbath was one of the key things that Jesus was criticized by, about. So it puts into question, where are we in regard to the Sabbath? We're, gonna, <clears throat> we're going to uh, discuss that a bit. Your uh, worksheet has an acronym on it, or an acrostic rather, R-E-S-T. I made that up just so that we could get through some of this material with some cohesion. So the first R is that even if we don't quite understand it, respecting is the Sabbath. This is something we should consider. Now, it, the reason we consider it is because, as we just said in Genesis, it's how God ordered his time. So one passage says, be holy as I am holy. Our holy God ordered his time and factored in rest. It seems um, logical that we would do the same as followers of God. It's also how God ordered our time in Exodus 20. It says in part, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, six days labor, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. So he ordered our time. It is by his authority. I gave them my Sabbath, he says in Exodus and Ezekiel, as a sign between them and me that we might know that I, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Remember, it's he who did the work. But this is a symbol of us acknowledging that he did the work that was finished. And his mighty works done on his, our behalf, in Deuteronomy says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath. In other words, he's saying, remember the stuff I did for you? It was to, get you, was to rescue you from where you were and to take you into a promised land? You know, honor that. Honor me, the one who did that. Honor the Sabbath. <clears throat> For those who are devout followers in the orthodox method of following this rule, 39 ways and then some, that would be a, a, a stringent effort to be rightly aligned with God, to be righteous before a righteous God, to be holy as he is holy. It's not a bad idea. You can see that when you want your children to do something for you, when you want them to go the right path, a few more rules often helps, yes? So it's not wide open that none of this matters. The question is, how much time do we spend focusing on the rules and, uh, instead of the rule giver? Because the notion of Sabbath is that we would recognize who is the Holy One who created it for us. For those of us in Christ, the finished work happened with him, which changes the equation. Because we've already known we cannot be righteous enough before God. I don't care if it's 39 rules or 39,000 rules. We're going to break one. Which is why God bothered to say, what I mean is, be holy as he is holy. He is my image bearer on the earth. He is me with flesh. If you want to know what the Sabbath is for and what it looks like, here's Jesus. He says of himself, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for men, not men for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath process of finding regular time for worship and rest and honoring God's creation and being thankful and being grateful is so you'll be happier. I am for you. Not so that you'll be more laden down with rules. Not so that you'll be heavily burdened by the load you have to carry in order to get right with me. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and I'm telling you, this is the freedom you're looking for. In Jesus' first public ministry, he stood up and said, I came to set the captives free. This is one way we're set free. We're set free from the burden of a law we cannot 
appropriately 24-7 follow. And we are set into the freedom of a God who conquered it for us. Now the question is, is there no validity to that, that notion then? Do the Ten Commandments, only nine of them apply to us? Or maybe seven or six are the ones we really like? I think it's an answer worth, worth uh, a question worth discussing. And so I looked on the internet for people discussing it. And there are page after page after doctrine <coughs> after, after devotional after um, perspective written about how one should observe the Sabbath. And since I didn't get through all that well enough to memorize it for you, I'm going to suggest that you pray, because I know a guy who knows the answer for you. And for me, how I can observe the Sabbath is to be less inclined to think it's all up to me and more inclined to say thank you that it's all up to you. And from that place comes the spirit of wanting to give back in the way that he would want. For me to be the more fun mom because I know a God who loves me just as I am. To be the more generous uh, neighbor because I know a God who's given me enough, who's provided me enough. The spirit of Sabbath is the spirit we need to know that Jesus personified. So respecting the Sabbath means respecting Jesus. And I will just tell you, a strong mom finds her rest on her knees in a position of humility and submission and worship. Back to the car. So I didn't need any more lessons, I thought, but yes, it turns out I did. Okay, so this fine car um, took me a lot of places um, because uh, nothing, nothing says fabulous uh, uh, better than a minivan. And um, I had my kids in the car once again, and we're getting ready to go. And of course, I'm probably late. You know, just a few minutes, but my typical late, which means I can make it up by hurrying. Never a good idea, but backing out of my driveway, we lived on an acre, it was a beautiful lot, it was in another town, it had a culvert under the, the end of the driveway. You know what that is? Like a big steel passageway for water to go through, like a gutter. In the city we have you know, curbs and gutters, but in the country you might have a culvert, so the water stays off your property and moves down the street. So my, back, uh, my, my uh, driveway backed up in a, in a curve like this, and it curved over the, the, cul the culvert, and the culvert is steel, and it has sharp edges, and if you're not paying attention, like maybe I wasn't, you could back over the culvert and you could blow your tire in an instant, which I did. But I had someplace really important to go, only I have no memory whatsoever what that place was. <laughs> maybe not as important as I thought. And it didn't matter anyway, because now I wasn't going anywhere. Because the tire was not only going flat, it was completely burst and, and destroyed. And add to that, we were in a really tight budget, and I think, you know, sometimes it's like the appliance goes and the tuition's due and the thing and the thing, and a tire was not in there. And my husband and I had just had a really contentious conversation about budgeting the day before, how are we going to do this, and this just looked to me like, you know, defeat in every way. I just felt like completely grounded for bad behavior. And I had to depend on some friends and so forth to get me around for a while, which is always actually a good thing because you get into a car with somebody else who, who drives better when they're talking than I drive when I'm talking. It's just a warning. If I'm going to talk, you really don't want me to drive. And the truth is I'm always going to talk. So anyway, I've, I've backed over. The, the, the tire's gone, and now I'm stuck at home, and I have to call my husband, and I have to tell him. And then it's going to be a couple days before we get a new tire that fits that, and you know. So... That was almost as awful as the sound of the tire itself, to be honest. Um, but the worst thing was, you know, then it's 50 bucks. I'm going to have to get this tire rebuilt, $50. I, I didn't have $50. I, I just really didn't have $50. And I was mad at myself, and I was mad at my husband because that was easier. 
but it was really my fault, and I was just mad, and I'm like, ugh. So um, I'm home, I go to the mailbox. You know there's something in the mailbox, right? It's a refund check from the bank for $50 and some change. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Who gets a bank refund except from the Monopoly game? <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I wasn't even sure there was this actual card, but I felt like there was, and I looked it up. I go, that is right. That is exactly what my letter looked like, more or less. So I got a letter. There was a bank, you know, bank error in my favor, and I had $50 and some change. I mean, honestly, it was, it was so impossible to miss this connection. And so for me, it doesn't even remember if I remembered where I was going. I remembered who had my back. I remembered that when I was slowed down, he became more visible to me. His provision for me became more tangible. His love for me became uh, impossible to ignore. And I could be a witness to my family for that because that dollar amount was like dead on. Now that does not happen every time, but I wonder if it had happened before and I never knew it because my tire wasn't dead and I wasn't grounded. But what I what I saw after that is that I, I really wasn't grounded. It was an opportunity to be grateful. And that's a different scenario. Hebrews 4 is full of admonitions to enter the rest. Hebrews 4, one chapter, 11 times in some combination, enter and rest are in, in, a, in a sentence. Enter his rest, enter the rest, enter rest. So I'm just going to read you an excerpt. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, that is, those who aren't following. But the message they heard didn't benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. The key of entering the rest is acknowledging who owns the door you're going to walk through and deciding to walk through it. Jesus is the way. And we are invited to enter the rest through Jesus. Some will not go through it. But those, who us, uh, those of us who believe, we are allowed to enter the rest. That is to say, we get to come into the place where Jesus says, I got this. Where he says, take my yoke upon you and le learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you ever tried to try, carry something heavy with your little child? And you, know, you let them help you, but you take all the weight because they don't understand that they're not strong enough for this job, but you want them to know that you're in it with them? Well, that's this picture. That's this picture. Jesus says, I got all the weight on my shoulders. You just need to come along, follow along. This yoke keeps us going in the right direction, but I'm carrying the heavier burden. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Most of the time, ladies, I feel more like um, an old bull trying to pull it myself. Me in front of the carriage trying to pull it myself. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. There's not even anything behind you that you're pulling. I got you. That gift of $50 helped me to know he's got me, but also to know that he's interested in me just hanging out with him so he can show me the right things to do. He says, you know, be still and know that I am God. That's our verse for this year. Be still and know that I'm God. Still we rise, we, we, we took it to say. My friend just got back from the um, uh, balloon fest in um, New Mexico, 
And she said, it's so amazing. These, these balloons are stretched out on the ground, just, you know, fabric with sideways. And then they turn this really loud propane or whatever torch and create the hot air that'll make that rise. She said, it's deafening. It's just deafening. You, you need to wear ear protection. And then once it's filled, it's quiet. It's so quiet. It lifts you up into spaces that are even quieter still. But it's in the stillness that we get reinvigorated to rise, where our tires get pumped up and our balloons get filled and we're able to rise. So this is what I know. A strong mom makes the choice, chooses to rest. Now this means being deliberate about your time, doesn't it? I was listening to Moody Radio on the way here and there was a, a young mom in there who had a great suggestion. They were talking about how to manage the, the pull of your telephones, of your, of your handheld computer that is wherever you are. And um, she said, you know, one thing I do is we, we deliberately set them aside from this time to this time, and they stay in the kitchen, and nobody uses them, and we don't use them at dinner. We, we set aside a place for that distraction to go. It means you have to figure out how to seek what he wants for you by letting go of some things. S is seek first his kingdom. Now, rest in some of our descriptions in our Bible study workbook today could look like binge-watching something. Um, I didn't see that in scripture. I was looking for it, but <laughs> there's a lot of things. It did not say anything about the binge-watching being restful. Binge-watching is not a, a terrible thing for me. In the morning, you know what I love to do? I love to get on my knees and pray to God, but I don't really do that. Instead, I get up and I turn on the news. Confession. I say I love to get up and spend the day with God and to give him first fruits, but I'm going to tell you, I go to the TV and I try to figure out what in the world is happening today. And then I angst about it and I make opinions and I think about it and then I make my kids some breakfast or my husband something and then, then I go and spend some time with God. I'm glad that I have at this point um, a, 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 um, a responsibility to go to do a devotional every morning which I type in my responses because I need that accountability. I'm going to say when we, when we talk about doing things and not doing things, the subtracting and adding, we have to think about what would God want for us. And one of the first things he wants for us is to refrain from worrying that it all depends on us. You know that scripture verse in uh, Matthew 6, 25? He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your, la your life and what you'll eat or what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious about the news or anything else, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about these things? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, and he will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith, Cheryl? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This is a matter of reprioritizing. 
We do that by renewing our mind, Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, I should say sisters, mothers, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Lately, I have so many things that I, I, I could do. Um, all of them good. I, just like in your lives, you've got lots of good things you could do. Um, with your kids and for your kids and for your schools and for your churches and for your, your work and for your other organizational things. I, I have lots of good things too and I've started to, to sift them through um, what has God designed me specifically for. In other words, what things could I do but I, it doesn't depend on me to do because that's not how God wired me specifically. This has helped me a little bit. I have the freedom to do this that you probably don't. Help me to say no to some things, which I'm not good at. I like to say yes. Even my kids know that. In fact, they knew it so much that they would always ask me things when I was on the telephone because I would automatically say yes. My default mode is yes. That's why I'm always late. But these days, I'm trying to renew my mind and think, what would God have for me? How has he purposed me? What are the things he would want me to do? What are the things that take my family or those that are, uh, I'm responsible to to the place that they want to be? My husband and I spent some time in church this weekend, and we thought, we're going to go as, uh, uh, tomorrow for a family with my all extended, my children and their children and so forth for a long weekend. And I'm, I'm collecting you know, the snacks that you need and all the things and packing my suitcase. And my husband and I looked at each other and said, what do we really want to take into this weekend on a spiritual level to our children, we have this unique opportunity to do so. This is the first time we've ever spoken like that. Like, what's this weekend really for? It's not for the snacks and the games and even uh, you know, visiting a, a cool place, Nashville, by the way. It's for really um, bringing ourselves and our family closer to the one who made these places for us to go and these things for us to eat. We've never thought of it that way. This is a renewing of the mind, and that's why I do Bible study, because I'm forced to learn what I might otherwise overlook. Philippians 4, a lot of things in here. Rejoice and request and practice. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, that's the thinking, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He wants to hear from you. In thanksgiving and in prayer, recognize who you're talking to and the posture you need to take, but then tell him, what do you need? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, here's the word, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He doesn't say, achieve these things, and then the God of peace will be with you. He says, the yoke, remember that? We are practicing these things together. I'm with you, practicing these things. A renewing of the mind means turning off the news, in my case. Turning off the news. I'm not addicted to Twitter. I'm not addicted to social media. I'm addicted to the mess. Which of you get one more day out of it? Here's my van again treasure today. 
I took a van ride. I think I was going to aerobics that morning. I had the kids in the car, one child in the car. We were going down a road. We lived uh, six miles out of town. We went down a country highway, two lane that crossed a, a state route, four lane. There's a stop sign at that corner. I've gone that way a thousand times. It's raining. I've made spaghetti sauce already the morning because the in-laws are coming over. I've got the house cleaned up. The kids are dressed. They're off to school. The ones with me, I'm going to work out. It's all good. And I get to the corner and I realize I'm not going to stop. My brakes are not going to hold. This is before interlock brakes. And um, I'm going to go through the intersection. And not only am I going to go into oncoming traffic, I'm going to go into a semi truck. And I am able in that minute to do the geometry I learned in 10th grade and know that we are going to intersect. And there's really no way around that. Now, I don't know what happened in real time because I was suddenly not in real time. I was in God's time. I can't explain it. I will tell you this. During that moment, I knew undoubtedly that I was going to run into the side of the semi-truck and that I was going to die. And I had a conversation with God about it. I said, oh, gosh, I'm going to die. Huh. Uh, I'm listening to Christian radio. That should count. I really thought that. <laughs> I hope the spaghetti sauce doesn't burn. My in-laws are on their way anyway, so they'll be here for Mike. The kids are going to be really sad, uh, but they're going to get over it. It's going to be all right. And God said, it, it's, uh, it's going to be all right. And I, I'm, I said, no, no. I, it was as if God was in the car with me. I, I don't know if I heard it or I just knew it wasn't my idea because when he said, no, it's going to be all right, it contradicted the kind of all right I was proposing. So I had a little argument with him. I know, what you, I know it's going to be all right because, you know, there's heaven and the whole thing there and time will heal all wounds. He goes, it's going to be all right. And I was like, I do not get it. I don't get it. And at that moment, I, I hit that semi-truck, as I knew I would, but I hit the tires, and I bounced off, and the front of my car, this is not the picture of it, but it looked a lot like that, except the tires were sideways. The front of my car was gone from the, from the um, windshield down. And I spun out, I missed all oncoming traffic, ended in a grassy field, shook myself awake. My daughter in the back said, I bumped my head which she did, no bruises, me, no scratches, nothing broken, nothing gone, except the car, and this absolute sense that Jesus had taken the wheel. And that in that moment, he wanted me to know that I wasn't the all right that I had proposed, it was the all right that he had proposed, because he is the master of time. Time is his from beginning to end. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega. If I'm going to multiply this nanosecond and turn it into an hour and a half conversation in the front seat of the car, I'm going to do that. I don't know why I know that's true except that it happened to me. And it only happened to me when I came to the end of myself and the car came to the end of itself. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. And today is ours to manage. We have the, we have the, um, the cry to get our lives in order, to make good choices, to let some things go, to put some things on. Ephesians 5 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord on your life is the only wisdom you really need. And a, and a mom-strong mom 
If, I, if, if you hear his voice, I'm going to suggest you listen because it's good news. Hebrews 3 says, Today if you hear his voice, don't harden your house, hearts as in the rebellion. Take care, lest there be any of you evil with an evil, unbelieving heart, or any of you leading... I'm going to start this again. Take care, mothers, lest there be any of you with evil, unbelieving hearts leading you to fall away from the living guard, God, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Yesterday I was working on this assignment, and I spent all day Sunday, too. It didn't look that restful. It was worshipful, but it was not restful. And my daughter called me up with some good news about her, her job and looking forward to our weekend together starting tomorrow. And, I, and she said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm like super working hard on this study. And she said, what's it on? I said, it's, it's on rest. <laughs> and I was not resting at all. I was not resting in the rest that I was reading about. So I'm going to pray that this is not a word on a page or even a cute picture or even a remembrance of days past, but today rest becomes real to us. Please join me. Heavenly Father, your lessons are so patient and so practical, and you want for us to set aside time to be um, bathed in, in, um, in worship and, and in gratitude and in community with you. I want to want that more for myself than I want to want my agenda. Please, Lord, subtract some things and add some things and make the time and the priority and the desire for your Sabbath rest mine because, Lord, you are the Sabbath I long for. And we pray this together in Jesus' name.